Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com. I'm going to speak from the subject in autopsy on hope. In autopsy on hope, we've got a nice coroner's table here. And uh, I want to talk to you about an autopsy on hope because what I've found is that for whatever the case in life, people get disappointed. I get disappointed, you get disappointed, we get disappointed by life. And at some point along the way, our hope in something, or oftentimes our hope in someone, dies. And I want to look today at, at really at the autopsy of hope, and I want to dissect what made those things die. What made those things fade away? What made my hope not be hope anymore? What made me not as hopeful as I've been in the past? Go to Luke chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 13. I'm going to read a couple verses for you here. It says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas, we laughed about him in the first service because I don't know if that was a popular name back then, but it sounds like an awkward name now. But Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was, now notice this, it's past tense, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. He died. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. But they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. I want to speak to you from this story. Uh, it's actually kind of an odd story. Uh, it's, it's a little humorous as well in the way that it, it unfolds. Because if you know this story, Jesus has died. This is what they're sad about, that Jesus has been crucified, and now they're leaving Jerusalem. They had hoped that he would be the Messiah. They had banked everything, the Jewish leaders, uh, many of them, many of the rabbis, many of his disciples, many people that were close in his circle had really believed because of ancient prophecy that Jesus was the Messiah, and now the one that they had hoped in had died. It says that they took off and, 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 and they started walking away from Jerusalem. They started leaving the city. And as they were talking about these things, it says Jesus showed up. That's interesting because they didn't recognize Jesus. So he just starts walking with them. So they're walking along the road and all of a sudden Jesus just shows up. And apparently they did not find that odd. But it's like there was two of us, now there's three. It's like, well, maybe I miscounted. I don't and, so they're walking along, Cleopas, and, you know, and I guess I'll just put it this way. If you're going to have a bad name, at least your name got in the Bible, okay? Because the other guy, they said, and the other one, or the unnamed one. So it's like, at least Cleopas got his name in the Bible, and the other one's just like, there was another one of us. 
We do not speak his name, but there was one. He is that one. We don't know who he is. So they're walking along. Jesus is walking, and Jesus begins to have a conversation with them. As he's talking, he says, why, why are you guys so, so sad? And they're like, Jesus, have you not heard? They didn't know he's Jesus. He said, have you not heard what has been going on? And this is what Jesus says. It's kind of humorous. He says, what? I mean, it's like Jesus is playing with them a little bit. They watched him die. They watched him be crucified. They don't recognize it's him now that he's raised from the dead. And I think this is true for most of us is sometimes when God comes in a different form than what we think he's going to come in, we don't recognize when he's moving. That's another message for another day. We'll save that for next week. But sometimes we don't recognize that what God's doing, God's doing. That, that just because he's in a different form or shape or, or in, in a different time frame than what we'd like it to be does not mean that he's not working. And so Cleopas and the unnamed guy is walking along the road. Jesus is talking to him, and he's inquiring what things, what has happened. And the Bible says in verse 17 that they stopped in their tracks as they began to talk to him. And it says, and their hearts were downcast. The, the, the Greek word downcast actually means depressed at the end of their rope, gloomy, in, in despair. I mean, they had come to the end of their rope. Their hope was in the Messiah. The Messiah, they thought, was dead. Now their hope has died. And it's interesting, it says, and they left Jerusalem. Now, if you know anything about Jerusalem, Jer Jerusalem was the city of God. It was also known, the definition is the city of peace. Jerusalem means city of peace. And so they left when their hope died, they left the place of peace. So they lived in Jerusalem. They were with Jesus in Jerusalem. But when they saw that Jesus had died, then they left the place of peace and they took off towards Emmaus. When they lost hope, they left peace. See, I, I don't know about you, but for me, there's times when my hope is high. I Man, I believe for big things. I mean, I am a diehard Seattle Seahawks fan. Please don't throw anything. Don't be mad. Um, and and I, I love the Cowboys as well, and we're believing this is the year, okay? And I got, I got, I got faith for that. And, and I just like all during the season, I'm just like, I have, my hopes are up that they're going to turn things around. We're still going to be all right. We're going to make the playoffs. It's fine. My hopes are up. But as game after game goes by where things affect us, the hope starts to wane. It starts, it starts to diminish. You ever been in that place where it's like you once believed in something, but now it's like, yeah, I don't know if it's, I don't know if we're going to be able to pull it off. Not only did Cleopas and his buddy get to this place, they went further to the point where they assumed that this was the end. I, I, I've got two boys, and um, I, I don't claim to be the best parent. I'm still learning a lot of things about being a dad. But I don't know, and maybe somebody, somebody here, you can help me with this, but uh, I, don't know when the, I don't know when they're old enough to have, like, the talk about death. You know, like, you know, I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't even said it because we've got a lot of kids in here. Like, like, you know, like, when things just don't go to sleep, you know, but they, it's over. It's over. I didn't know when to talk about this. Jude was about two years old. He's pretty young, and, and I didn't know when to have this conversation with him. And so we went up into the northwest doing some salmon fishing with my dad. My dad is a great fisherman. He's catching fish, and, and he's got them like in this little, little part of the river. They're swimming around, and he's got them blocked in there on a stringer. They're still alive. And Jude's over there, two years old, fishy 
fishy. I mean, he's happy. He's amazing. These fish swimming around. And, and then I'm, I'm, I'm like thinking like, okay, like how are we going to do this? Because now they become pets and we're going to eat them later. And, you know, we got to disconnect. My dad walks over without any, without any knowledge of the thoughts I'm having in my mind, picks up a salmon, dashes it on the rocks, puts it to sleep, and goes back to fishing. And my son is like, Daddy, why isn't he swimming? Why does he have ketchup on his mouth? Daddy, true story. And I'm like, I guess we're having this, I guess we're having this talk now. I guess, I guess we're going to talk about things going to sleep. You know, when I was praying for you this week, I really felt like that we have people in our services and in our campuses that for you, it's not just sleep, but some dreams, some hopes, some aspirations, some just zest for life. It hasn't been asleep, it's gone. It's, it's we could actually throw your hope on the coroner's table and do an autopsy and try to look at it and find out why you don't have the same hope that you used to have. Why you don't have the same passion you used to have. Why don't you have the same courage? You know what's interesting about young kids is, is they just dream. They think they can do anything. They think they can accomplish anything. And then they grow up. Which is sad because life trains us that disappointment is real. Life trains us that there's real, real, uh, real challenges to our hope. Life trains us that there are things that are not going to work out. And I found that as we live, our hope begins to diminish. We dream less. We desire less. We hope for less. We almost even become pessimistic about life in general, about the assignment that God has on our life, about the things that he wants to do through us. And, and sometimes we even assume something's not going to work out before it even happens. This is where these disciples found themselves, Cleopas and the unnamed friend, find themselves depressed. They find their hope completely dead. They find their hopes completely destroyed. And if we begin to pull apart their hope, if we placed it on the coroner's table and we did an autopsy on the hope of Cleopas and his buddy, I think we would find a couple key disappointments. And that's what I want to talk about today. The, the first key disappointment that I think is, is there is there was unmet expectations. There was unmet expectation. They say this in the text in verse 21. It says, but we had hoped that we had hoped our hope was that he was gonna, going to be the one to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. There's nothing like a long period of time to destroy your hope. Anybody can have hope for a day. But it says we've already hoped for three days. They had no idea how close they were. Three days, three days, Jesus was going to be raised. They waited three days, and because they couldn't see him, it didn't meet their expectation. And because it didn't meet their expectation, their hope began to die. I don't know if you ever had unmet expectations. I, I remember when Jamie and I got married, and uh, we went on our honeymoon. We both had expectations of that honeymoon. We were both Christian, you know, good people, and um, we were pure, you know. So the honeymoon's like... It's important, okay? It's like we put in some work, you know, to get to where we are. Been waiting a long time, been really patient. I'm 25, 
And, um, and, and so I'm thinking honeymoon, like, I packed, like, swim shorts. I, don't, I didn't need anything else. Like, I mean, that, that's like, Jamie, I look at her bag. She's got a big bag. She's got, like, books, like, things to do. Like, leisure activity resources. And I'm like, what is this? And so we get there, and so it's like the day after our wedding, we're in the hotel room, and I'm like, I'm like, you know, happy and excited about everything God's doing in our lives, our new future together. And she goes, I think I'm going to go down by the pool and read for a little while. And I'm like, read for a little while. Like, is this a subliminal message? Like, you want to go read? You know, like, like you know, Role play, you're the teacher, I'm the pupil. Like, like, what are we, what are we, is that too far on Easter? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm like, okay, read a book, read a book. What, like, what, she, like, really, she wanted to just go read a book. So I'm like, okay, like, I'll go find something to do. So I went parasailing by myself. I'm up there over the ocean, like, man, marriage is awesome. Feels a lot like single life. Sitting up here. Oh, there she is. Look at her, reading that book. Cool. So we had to navigate some things in our first year of marriage about expectations. Um, I, I was a little naive about real life, and uh, so she, she had to train me, and, and um, luckily we've, we've, we've worked, worked some things out. There's nothing like an unmet expectation to dash your hopes. I mean, we laugh and it's funny, but really many of us, hundreds of us here are sitting and we've got hopes that have really died. We've got expectations about someone or something and they have not happened the way that we wanted to and they have died. This is what happened to Cleopas and his friend is they had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah. Now you can understand why the disciples would be sad. Because the disciples were actually friends of Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They were with him. But why was Cleopas and his friend so upset? Why were they depressed? Why were they discouraged? And this is why for years it had been prophesied that a Messiah would come. For years in the Old Testament, it is full of prophecies about a God-man that would enter the world, that would give his life as a sacrifice for me and for you, and would cover all our sins. And Jesus did that. We know that. But they didn't know that. It was prophecy. And when they saw Jesus die on that cross, their hope died with them. When they saw him breathe his last, their hope breathed its last. The Messiah, why did they think he was the Messiah? There are over 300 prophecies in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that speak of a Messiah. And the Messiah would have to be all of these things to truly be the Messiah. Now this is interesting. I'm going to read to you 16. Only 16. We're going to do a fast. Don't worry. You're like, what time is lunch again? 16 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled and only Jesus could fulfill to be the Messiah. For one man to be the Messiah, it's prophesied that he'd be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7:14, that he'd be born in Bethlehem, that he'd be born of the tribe of Judah, that his ministry would begin in Galilee, that he would work miracles, that he would enter Jerusalem on a donkey, that he'd be betrayed by a friend, that he'd be sold for 30 pieces of silver. You remember all of these? That he'd be wounded and bruised, that his hands and feet would be pierced, that he would be crucified with thieves, that his garments would be torn and lots cast for them, 
that his bones would not be broken, that his side would be pierced, that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb, that he would rise from the dead. All of these prophecies were in the Old Testament, and they knew the law, and I would imagine Cleopas and his friends saw in Jesus the fulfillment of these prophecies. So when Jesus died, it wasn't just Jesus dying, it was the Messiah that they had been waiting for dying. There, there's a, there's a, a scholar, the name of, of Peter Stoner, and just have to pass on his last name as well. He wrote a book, and uh, it's, called, it's called Science Speaks. And he says that the mathematical probability of one man meeting, not 300, but meeting 16 of those criteria, the mathematical probability is 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Now, if you don't know math like I don't, I read it. I'll tell you. So he gives an illustration. He said it would be as if you had the great state of Texas. You filled it up two feet high with silver dollars. You took one silver dollar. You marked black on it, wrote a name on it. You threw it into the state. You took a blindfolded man, sent him out into the great state of Texas, and the odds of him picking up the exact same silver dollar are the same probability that one man would be born and would meet six of these prophecies. Friends, Jesus met more than 300 prophecies. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a teacher. He's the King of Kings and He's the Lord of Lords. He is the Messiah. He is the way maker. He is the life. He is the first and He is the last. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we know this and we celebrate it. But Cleopas didn't. It's way easier to look at something in hindsight, isn't it? We can read it and be like, guys, come on, why didn't you have faith? Why didn't you believe? Because they saw Jesus crucified. They saw him breathe his last. They saw that it was over. Unmet expectations. They thought that he was going to be a conquering king, but he came as a humble servant. They missed it because they were looking for the wrong thing. They were looking for this king to take over the Roman Empire. And when he came as a servant, being willing to suffer, they did not recognize him. And this is what I would caution us today. Is I would caution us to be careful that when Jesus comes as something that's different than what we thought. Or different than what we expected. Don't miss him. Don't miss him. Don't let a Christian throw you off of Christ. Don't let a church throw you off of Jesus because this, my friends, is a place. Jesus is a person. Unmet expectations. The second disappointment you would find in the autopsy of hope is you would find empty places. Empty places, which for us, we would think that would be a good sign. An empty place, an empty tomb. It says in verse 22, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. And we celebrate because we know. But when Cleopas and his buddy heard that the tomb was empty, they said, see, it's not true. It's like, wait, the empty tomb might mean that he's alive, Cleopas. No, the empty tomb must mean that someone stole his body. He's not there. If I can't see him, he must not be alive. If, if I can't get my mind around it, if I can't grasp it, it must not be right. If it doesn't answer all my questions, it must not 
be true. This is an empty place. You know what, some of us, I, I feel like that, that we would rather have a predictable God than God. The, by nature of being God, he's unpredictable. You can't, you don't want a God that you can control. You don't want a God that you can figure out because as soon as you can figure him out, he ceases to be God and you do. Because now you have proven superiority of what would be God. God is bigger than we can even imagine. Imagine, he's greater than what we can comprehend. The Bible says his thoughts, his ways are not ours. They're higher than ours. So we might not be able to understand it, but this is what I found with people is some of us would rather have a dead God that we can see than a living God that we cannot. We'd rather have a, a city of peace. We would rather have a fortress We'd rather have a church. We'd rather have a religion that we can grasp, that we can see, that we can control than a God that we can't control. I'm going to tell you, when you live life for Jesus, really with all your heart, it is a life you can't control. It's a life of adventure. It's a life of excitement. But it's a life you can't control. And if you're going to get on this ride, you've got to lay down your own life and your own agenda and your own thoughts and say, God, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on this train. I'm jumping in. I'm all in. You don't want a God that you can control. And when they saw an empty place, when they saw an empty tomb, they thought in their minds that God must have failed. And I think many of us in the room, we might have empty places in our life, but I would like to say it this way, that your emptiness might be a sign that God is working. Your empty tomb might be just a sign that the thing that was once dead there isn't there anymore. The empty place that has tried to shake you, has tried to kill your hope, it could be a sign. I think that too many people give up too soon. Judas gave up too soon. Cleopas and his friend, they gave up too soon. On Sunday morning, Jesus was risen, but because they couldn't see him, they didn't think he was there, and so they left, and they started walking towards Emmaus. I would rather be empty I'd rather be an empty place than full of dead things or the wrong things. And the truth of, the truth of the matter is many of us will fill ourselves with wrong things so we never have to feel empty things. But that empty place could be a sign that God is working on your behalf, that God is doing something that you cannot see. I like to call it Silent Saturday. Silent Saturday. Everybody talks about Good Friday and we celebrate, but nobody talks about Saturday. The third key is this, invisible Savior. If we were to have an autopsy on hope, we would find an invisible Savior because in verse 24, it says, then some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. They thought that if he was alive, then he would have shown himself to them. Let me ask you this. Have you ever felt or asked this question? If God was good, then he would have. If God was all-powerful, then he would have. If God really loved me, then he would. What do you do when Jesus is invisible? What do you do when you can't feel the God that you want to have relationship with? What do you do when you can't hear the voice 
of the one you should be listening to? What do you do when your Savior goes invisible? What do you do when you're desperate in life? What do you do when your hope has been laid on a coroner's table and you've given up on things that you should have stepped into? You've given up on dreams that you should be walking in. You've given up on relationships that you should have worked out. You've given up. What do you do? A silent Saturday. That's what it was. After Good Friday, everything went silent, and everybody thinks what well, Jesus must have just been chilling in the tomb, waiting for Sunday. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says on Saturday, Jesus was busy. The Bible says he went down to hell and he took away the keys from death, hell, and the grave, which meant that you and I have an opportunity at eternal life that I don't have to do or be constrained by sin or death, but by saying yes to Jesus, I can walk into newness of life. Jesus was busy, but you just couldn't see him. I wonder if today Jesus might be busy in your life. I wonder if the reason you can't see him is not because he's not there, but because he's busy. He's working. Nothing tests your commitment to God more than when you can't find him. Nothing tests your commitment more than when you can't find him. I, I don't know about you, but for when my kids, I get surprises for my kids when I travel and I come back. And, and I started this a while ago, and it's a really bad thing to start. I said, whenever I come home, I'm going to bring you a present. Well, I travel quite a bit, and so that's resulted in a lot of presents. I'm, like, starting to buy, like, pencils at the airport. Like, it's, like, it's just something. Yeah, I brought you something. But every time when I get home, I bring a present, and this is what I tell them. I have the present, but I tell them, close your eyes. I wonder why I tell them, close your eyes. Why do we tell people to close their eyes when they're getting ready for a surprise? Close your eyes. Close your eyes. It's not that I'm running away. It's not that I'm leaving, I'm getting ready. And then I say, open, and they can see it. I wonder if God is trying to surprise you with something that you're detesting. I wonder if God's trying to surprise you with something you're disappointed in. Well, I don't know why he would have. I don't know either. But his ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. And at some point, you have to trust. At some point, you have to take a step of faith and say, God, I'm going to believe you. God, I'm going to trust you. And Cleopas and his friend are walking down the road and they're discouraged and they're depressed and their hope has died because the man that they thought was the Messiah had died and all the while they did not know they were talking with him. Walking down the road, talking with Jesus. Jesus is toying with them. He's playing with them. What things do you speak of? What crucifixion? What is a crucifixion? Who is this man you say is called Jesus? I mean, they're, they're having this conversation. And you know what I realize is that the story goes on and it says that they invited him in for dinner and he came in and began to eat. And as soon as he broke the bread, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They say, wait a second. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. They saw him for the very first time. They'd walked beside him, but they'd never seen him. They'd, they'd been around him but they've never really seen him. I wonder if there's people in this room today that you've been around him, but you've never really seen him. You've been walking with him and talking with him and complaining to him and telling him why your hope died and telling him why you've got to give up on all of these things and maybe you never knew it was actually him. Do you know what happened when they found out? When they found out it was Jesus, the Bible says, and they returned immediately to Jerusalem. When their hope died... I want you to see this. When their hope died, 
they left peace. As soon as they encountered hope, they encountered, well, they didn't encounter a place of peace or a place of hope. They encountered a person. And when they encountered Jesus, it says they returned back to the place. Now, this is the, this is the wild thing. It's for many of us, everything in our life is searching for the place of peace. We're trying to get the right things, the right relationships, the right stuff, the right career, so that we can finally have peace. We're trying to have the absence of problems, the absence of drama, the, the absence of these, so we can finally have peace. But peace, friends, is not a place. It's not a church. It's not four walls. It's not a building. It's not a structure. It's not a religion. Peace is a person and his name is Jesus that's what they encountered they encountered Jesus once they saw him for who he was they said I'm going back to Jerusalem because now I've encountered the person that is peace if you always try to reside in a place of peace you'll miss the person of peace but if you miss if you meet the person of peace you'll reside in a place of peace Many of us are striving is the place of peace, but we'll miss the person if we strive for the place. But if you encounter the person, you'll end up, you with me this morning? You'll end up in the place. God wants you to have peace. He wants to walk, you walk through your life with you with hope. Hope for the future. Hope for a great marriage. Hope for a godly legacy. Hope. Sometimes I make a mistake and I turn on the news, right? And I, I just, sometimes I think, you see so many people struggling, so many people hurting, so many crises, so much pain, shootings and injustice, prejudice and racism. It just, it just makes you feel gross at the end of the day. And you start thinking, I don't know if you do, I do. I start thinking, like, how am I going to escape? Like, how is my life just going to stay good? How do I protect my kids? How do I keep them from all this? How do I make sure they don't get caught up in all that is that? How? I can try to protect them. I can try to do everything I can to keep them away from anything that would defile them and anything that would tell them anything else whether that, 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 that I don't say. But you know what? Hope, peace, safety, security, future, assignment, purpose is not a place. It's a person. It's a person. Religions try to tell us if you can show up on Easter Sunday, you're good. It's, it's, it's not... It's not different than that. It's better than that. It's you can have a relationship with him every day of your life because he's not a place. He's not someone you have to drive to. It's not a location that you can map yourself to. He is a person. And this is what really got me. And this is what we'll close with. This is just what really got me. I thought that God would really show himself to people with really good faith. Yeah, their hopes were down, but maybe they had a lot of faith. Cleopas didn't have any faith. Are you kidding me? Cleopas on the third day, on Sunday, him and his unnamed friend ditched, took off. Yep, I knew it wasn't going to happen. You know those people? 
I knew he wasn't going to raise from the dead. I knew it wasn't going to turn out good. I knew I was going to go bankrupt. I knew she was going to do it. I knew. They didn't have faith. But they had a need. Jesus, I don't know how it happened, but Jesus was like supposed to ascend to the Father. He'd done his job. Died, rose from the dead. And I don't know how that conversation went. Hey, Father. Uh, yes, Jesus. Waiting on you here. Um, hold on a minute. Uh, could you get up here? I saw you suffer a lot. I'm ready. Like, get up here. Jesus says, hold on. Cleopas needs me. Father's more like, Cleo, what? <laughs> Tell Cleopas change his name, then we'll talk. <laughs> Cleopas needs me. He, he wasn't even a disciple. And the other man didn't even have a name it's the unnamed one you know what you could feel unnamed in this room right now you don't have to have a good track record you don't have to have great faith all you have to have is a need friend and Jesus will stop everything to get to you because that's how much he loves you the cross didn't stop him suffering didn't stop him a whip didn't stop him the Pharisees didn't stop him. Religion didn't stop him. The devil couldn't stop him. So he's not going to be threatened by your need. In fact, it is the opposite. He is drawn like a magnet to the need of people. Because why he did what he did was not so he could be Jesus Christ. He did it because he was Jesus Christ. He is the hope of the world. And Isaiah 9 says, He is the Prince of Peace. Friends, we can have peace, but it's not in this building and it's not in this church. That peace is in a person and His name is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, that's, that's His name. He does the best work when we can't see Him. They left the place of peace but the Prince of Peace never left them. That's when you know you got a good Savior. It's when you can leave the place of peace, but the Prince of Peace, he's not, he's not going to leave you. That's how I run in a suit. Stop laughing. <laughs> I wonder what God could do with your life. I wonder what God could do with your life. Well, I thought I had a lot of hope, Pastor. Yeah, I think you got a lot of hope in a lot of places. But if I could do an, an autopsy on hope, I think it would take us about three minutes to get down to the, the one that died. And this is the crazy thing about God is he's not stopping with just a partial life. Jesus didn't just raise from the dead halfway. He rose from the dead all the way. So if he's going to resurrect your hope, friend, it's not just halfway. It's not just that dream. It's not just, well, that thing looks better, but don't look over here. Don't look, don't look, don't, don't look. God, don't look at that. No, he wants every part of your heart to be set free. He wants you to walk in full hope, full confidence of the future, full peace. 
that he is with you. And the Bible says he is with you. My Bible says he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. He'll walk beside you. And it's not because you're good. It's not because you're Peter. It's not because you're John. It's not because you're James. It's because you're Cleopas. Or it's because you're no name. I just feel like I came into church and pastor, this is the first time I'm coming to church for a long time. And I just feel like I don't even know what to do. I don't know the songs. It feels weird. I don't even know why I'm here. I feel like God's angry with me. Listen, you might be unnamed in your own mind, but you're not unnamed to God. He sees you. He knows you. One of my favorite names for God is this. He is the God who sees. That changed my life when I was younger in ministry, and I had a, just a moment of life where I just was like, man, God, like, I'm doing all this for you. I'm laying down. I'm saying no. I'm doing all this for you. And I was flipping through the Old Testament, and I read this story about Hagar. Hagar's running for her life. Her hope had died. She ran for her life, and it says God revealed himself to her as the God who sees her. Man, that makes me emotional. To know God sees me. God sees you. Where did your hope die? Why did it die? I'll tell you today's Resurrection Sunday, not just for Jesus. Today's Resurrection Sunday for you. It's Resurrection Sunday for every hope and every dream, everything that God's ever put in you. It is Resurrection Sunday. And I want to declare, whether it's Easter Sunday or not, I want to declare over you today that there is a resurrection that is coming to your house. There is a resurrection that is coming to your faith. There is a resurrection that is coming to your life. And that hope is going to breathe again. Would you stand up with me? Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.